All right, let me start with a question, and then we'll open the word together. And I thought with our children being upstairs with us, maybe an object lesson would be in order, but it always indelibly burns thoughts into all of our minds. This isn't just for the kids, just a visual to help us see what we're going to read in Scripture. Um, question is, with churches having so many differences, uh, with you know this church here having two other churches that share the space, with us partnering with the Methodist churches and with uh, Trinity Baptist Church and all these different things, with so much diversity, so much discussion about how we're different, what are the things that must be held in common for us to call each other brothers and sisters in Christ? What are some of the essentials, they call the essentials of the faith? And there's lots of ways you can answer this. There's no right or wrong answer necessarily, but I'd be curious to know from your perspectives, shout out one thing or a couple things. What do you think we have to hold in common to say this is family, despite the other things that we might see differently? Okay, inerrancy of Scripture. We hold to God's Word and we live by it, learn by it. Okay, good. Scripture. Trinity. Jesus is the only way. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What else? Prayer? Absolutely. Okay. Virgin birth. Back to Scripture. So to fight for each other and help each other through challenges, absolutely, it's what Jesus does. It's what he calls us to do good. What must we agree on? Okay, okay, good. Fellowship. Yeah, right, it reminds me of that song we sung, these, these statements of our faith, you know, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, these statements of faith. God will hear our prayers, Absolutely. 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 Jesus was asked to kind of answer the question of what things can change and what things can't change. Because the world and life and churches and people, we ourselves, constantly changing. But there's got to be some things that never change, right? (laughs) So we're always changing but never changing. And different churches, different people handle that in different ways, but it becomes almost a little bit of a tension. What are we trying to hang on to? What are we trying to grow in? What are we trying to give birth to? Something new. What is God trying to do? What do we got to hang on to? And don't sacrifice that, no matter if it's, you know, that's the hill you die on. We're going to stick to that because we believe that this is what the Bible says and we can do no other. That, that's a lot of the wrestling match of faith. And, and those different decisions that are made by believers should be based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. I want to in this way, support this, or I want to, in this way, live this out. But there's some things that aren't about leading of the Holy Spirit. It's just about this is what we stand on. This is our foundation. And so Jesus was asked that, and he used a metaphor, which I'd like to read for you, um, and I'd like to have you join me in reading. It's in the Gospel of Luke, but it's a little bit of an antiquated metaphor. And so um, we're going to use our own metaphor this morning to explain it. But if you would open up to the Gospel of Luke, for me, please. Chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus says, what we get from God, who and what God is, is never going to change. God's the same. Jesus, Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But God in us, we're the changing things. People 
are fickle and cultures change, languages change, and we're in different places that change around us. And so the way that we transmit, the way that we carry this good news of God to the world is going to look different. And our job is to try to make sure we get it translated and carried without spilling a drop. And so Jesus speaks to his audience, and the way that they would carry water, the way they'd carry wine, the way they'd carry liquids over long distances from place to place was in wineskins. There were no Nalgene bottles back then, there were no camelbacks, this is just wineskins. And they'd carry this wine, and and so he uses the metaphor of a wineskin to say there are things from God, and there are things that we carry God in, and there's people that we carry God to. And so in his metaphor, I want you to be looking for those three elements. What is the wine? What is the wineskin? And who are the thirsty people that the wine is for? We're carrying this. Where are we carrying it? What are we carrying it for? So in Luke 5.27, let's just let Jesus explain it and describe it the way he does, and then let's dig into it a little bit before we give a modern interpretation of it. Luke 5.27 says, After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. The other gospels, one calls him Matthew, um, then Levi. We have Levi here um, sitting at the tax booth. Jesus said to him, follow me. So there's a call. Jesus says, follow me. And there's the response. So leaving everything, he got up and he followed him. What did Levi do, this tax collector? He made Jesus a great feast in his house. And there was a large company, a large gathering of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So the Pharisees, the religious people of that day, and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. These Pharisees and scribes said to him, yeah, but the disciples of John, John the Baptist, they fast often and they offer prayers. So they're very strict, very conservative in their religious rituals. But yours, yours eat and drink. Why don't you look like them? You both say you believe in God. What's the difference? And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new. He's got a hole in it now. And the piece from the new will not match the old. And likewise, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires the new, for he says, the old is good. Jesus continues, on a Sabbath As he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and he ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what isn't lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, haven't you read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God 
And he took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and gave it to those also who were with him. And he said, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. He rose and stood there. Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful? said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, said to him, the man, stretch out your hand. And as he did so, his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So the questions that he's being presented with are, why don't you fast and pray in the same way that others do? Why do you help people and do work, quote-unquote, on your Sabbath? How do you use your worship time, your Sabbath time? Why do you spend time with these sorts of people? And in doing so, the Pharisees and scribes are describing what they see as the wineskin. The right way to pray is their way. The right way to fast is on the days that they fast. The right people to spend time with are the people that they think are the right to spend time with. The right things to do on a Sabbath are the right things. Now, they have a wineskin. They have God's word. You know, the Old Testament is God's word to them. But they become very fixated on the wineskin, the way of getting the glory and the power of God carried into the world. And they kept preserving and preserving and preserving the wineskin. So pretty soon, they're no longer giving the wine to the people who are thirsty. They're preserving the wineskin at the expense of it. And you can't really add too much more once it's the way it is. And so Jesus separates the two. He says how we serve God is both about the what and the how. What are we doing? We're trying to glorify God. What's the wine? The wine is actually never different, I don't think. I think new wine is just more wine, more of God. More of, is God going to change? Is he going to have a new gospel? Is he going to have a new Savior? Is he going to have a new Messiah? A new, no. It's just God saying, here I am. Come to me. Here's my presence. Here's my glory. And he pours it out. And he pours it out into a certain people. And they just take what they can, they can hold and what they can carry. But their job is not to hold it. The wineskin is not just for holding. It's not storage. It's not a vat. It's not a barrel. It's not a wine casket to put in the basement and just age. It's for drinking. And the thing that just struck me, I wanted to talk about the most, so excited to get to, is the wine we can all agree. That's the things that bind us together. That's the God that does not change. The wineskins, yeah, our different churches may carry God to our community in different looking ways. Let's not forget that the whole point of the wineskin is to bring it to the people who are thirsty. Jesus is saying, God loves sinners, so I'm going to sit with sinners. Because the wine is not for Jesus, it's through Jesus for people who need to experience God. The wineskin is just a vessel, and we're vessels. Our churches are vessels. And you know what? In Central's history, I guarantee you can point either today or other days or many times where God has poured out his spirit and he's filled up that church and overflowed into the people around him. That's it. There's the wine. It's fine wine carried by your church to the precious sinners that God loves so much. I was struck by the word precious the other day. I was reading about how different churches 
consider the people around them. Some call them non-believers, sort of like an exclusive term. Wherein you're out, you're the nons, you're the unbelievers. It's true, you know, there's a kingdom and there's belief and there's not, but it's also a way of looking at people that says, we've got it, you don't. Let's just be careful with that because grace means that we didn't have it either. And so we do, so they can. There needs to be just a thought about that process. Another term that's used is the lost. Well, that's good as long as you remember that we were lost too. And it's only by God's grace, only by the pouring out of that wine to us to fill us that we could have anything to offer to someone else because we were God's precious sinners that he pursued and came after and poured out his love into. And so this church that I read about calls the people in their community the precious, the beloved by God. Don't call them pagans, strangely. Don't call them heathens. Hi, I'm a Christian. Are you a heathen? That's going to be our next evangelism campaign. Guaranteed to win zero souls for Christ. (laughs) Oh, you're the unbeliever. You're the non-believer. You're the lost. You're the everything negative. Let me help you because I'm everything positive. That's the wineskin bragging about being a wineskin. We are only as good as what we carry, folks. And we're not born carrying God. But he meets us at some point and fills us up. And that beautiful wine somehow is in us. I have a glass here. I want to pour some water into these. Glass cracked. Sorry, Michelle. On the way to church today. What a perfect illustration. We're all cracked glasses. But the glass isn't the thing. Look look at me. I'm an empty container that could hold something. No. Look, I've experienced what it feels like to hold God in my heart and in my mind. It's a powerful thing, and I love it, and it fills me. And It's pure, pure water. Are you thirsty? Because we're the same. We're just vessels. We're just glasses. So I'm super excited for us to think about the concept of what wine is, because that is the grace of God. And we've said it before. Grace is like love, but it's the highest form of love. It's not just I love you. It's, I love you despite you. That's what God does for us. He loves us despite us. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Spouses, love each other despite each other. Parents, love your kids despite your kids. Believers, love non-believers despite the non-believers. Love the people that are against us despite the fact that they're against us. It's not about waiting for others to become righteous so that they deserve our love. It's grace. It's undeserved favor. So grace is what unites us, which means that we're all originally sinful. We've all experienced a filling. We all know how good it is to be thirsty and empty and then quenched and full. And we're just carrying it. We're vessels. We are the wineskins. One of you here in this room, your wineskin is shaped in such a way that you are perfectly designed to encourage the people around you. And when God fills you up with God and he puts his spirit in you and you pour you out to the thirsty people around you, it's going to look like encouragement. That's your gift. That's your shape. That's who you are. Some of us, when God fills us up in the shape that we are, are going to be teachers. He's going to have us teaching our children. He's going to have us teaching people in the community. He's going to have us teaching the Bible. He's going to have us teaching because when we are who we are, filled by God, he uses us to find people who are hungry 
and thirsty for the word of God. And he'll use us. So it's going to be different shapes based on who we are, but same wine. One wine. It's not new wine like we're waiting for a new revelation from God as if the gospel hasn't already been given. Same God. Same gospel. And you may say, well, yeah, but Jesus came on the scene. Yeah, but back from creation, God has been predicting the fact that he's going to do reconciliation. So Jesus is not even new wine. He's completion. He's like the the perfect aging. The time is ripe. The fullness of time. Wine. But it's still God. And when God blessed Abraham and blessed Moses and blessed the kings and blessed the prophets and then came as Jesus and then blessed their it's the same God. And we want more of that. Our question is, who around us is thirsty? What kind of vessels are we? And are we making sure that we're carrying God to people or are we carrying us to people? Because one is guaranteed to quench thirst and the other is guaranteed to do nothing at all. Sometimes we as Christians feel like, you know, I don't know, am I really any different from the people around me? First things first, folk, get the wine. Be filled, because when we are filled with God, that will carry forward. The overflow we talk about. I should take this water and just overflow every single one of these cups, but then I'll make a mess and I'll have to clean it up. So I'll just fill them. But the Holy Spirit is an overflow kind of concept. It's not just a full. It's like you've got extra now. But I think all of us have experienced what it feels like. Maybe we'll use the cracked glass as our example. Have you ever tried to minister when you feel empty? I have. Maybe you know what that feels like. It feels hopeless. It feels hypocritical. You're like, here, drink. Drink. Sorry. Right? In that moment, we trust in grace. Because it's not the size of the glass or the number of cracks that it's God. So we just pray for him to be in us. But in some way, we're always full. Because when he gives you his spirit, he doesn't take it away. We just get tired. So the empty is really our physical energy. But sometimes it is a spiritual emptiness. There are people that have gone to church their whole lives that have never been filled by God's Spirit. And they do lots of good things. They may say all the right things. They may know all the right things. But in the end, you can't feed people who are spiritually hungry if we're not filled with God. People don't need the cup. They need the wine. They don't need the wineskin. They need the wine. And so that's why it's so important to just start with what's the wine? What makes us the same? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus died, rose for our death, rose for our sins, paid our debt. Grace. I don't deserve it and you don't deserve it. Praise God, we've got it anyway. Please forgive me for my sins, Jesus. All you need is me to submit. All you need is for me to relent. That's the gospel. God, sin, salvation, Holy Spirit. Eternity. If we're pouring out anything other than that to the people that we serve, if we're expecting anything besides that to actually satisfy ourselves, we're just going to stay empty. I want you to think about which one of these cups you are. But before I do, I want to share something about this picture. This picture has become quite special, and I hope it lasts a good long time so I can enjoy it. But Years ago, we had someone who was baptized with us at our summer baptism who, because of a condition with their ears, couldn't go underwater. We brought this pitcher out. We scooped up the dirty lake water, baptized them in the name of Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And so it was a pitcher used for a baptism based on their health concerns. 
Well, just two weeks ago, this pitcher had the chance to do the same sort of thing for a person in a similar sort of situation. Um, there's an elderly woman who lives in uh, assisted living, sort of. It's like the senior center over here in Easton. And she's been asking more and more questions about what does the Bible say? And I've gone to church my whole life, but I just I want to read the Bible for myself. And what is this about grace? And she's coming alive in her last years in ways that she never has been, despite being in church all her years. She's been a faithful seeker, but now is being filled. And so she said, well, could I be baptized? But based on health concerns, she's never getting down to the lake. She can't even really get here, although she'd really love to. Her name is Joanne. If she ever comes in, I'll make a point to embarrass her in public and make sure we all <laughs> hug that woman. And so we filled this with a very little bit of water a couple of weeks ago and just baptized in her home in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in talking to her the week since, she said, I feel different. Because it does feel different to be with God and ministering empty is not fruitful. (laughs) Ministering full is you in your shape, in your gifting, carrying God to the thirsty, to the precious thirsty around us. So I don't know who, let's do it this way, I don't know who this vessel is this morning. Is this you? Is this God filling you with his spirit? It's pure, it's clean, it's white, it quenches. If so, then you're filled with his spirit. Same water, different vessel. Same water, different vessel. Same water, different vessel. Same water, different church. Same water, different family. Same water, different race. Let's see if we've got enough here, folks. Same water, different gender. There is hardly a drop left in that picture. Can I read a quote for you as we close and head downstairs for some fellowship? I don't know if I should just read this like 10 times to make sure you get it, or read it once as loud as I can, or maybe I'll put it on social media or email all of you, or please hear this. This is a quote by a theologian. He's writing in a commentary, and I found it because I was looking up some other scriptures or some other uh, theologians' advice on how they looked into the wineskins and Jesus meeting people in their needs. It's not the people who are satisfied that are thirsty, it's the sinners who Jesus came to. He brought God to the people who needed him most. And so Walter Russell Bowie is the name of this theologian. Listen to his description of Jesus and personalize it. Think of it for him and for us. He, meaning Jesus, loved them, meaning all these tax collectors and sinners sitting around the table, He loved them even as they were. And he loved them with the warmth of God's own expectation of what they might become. He loved them even as they were, and he loved them with the warmth warmth of God's own expectation of what they might become. 
What if we see in others the potential for them to be powerful men and women of God versus just people that are on the outside? What if we see what Jesus saw, the expectation of what people might become, and recognize what's the expectation of what we might become? God saw our potential, not just our emptiness. What if we take the water and take the wine to the thirsty ones because we have a warmth for them because we're starting to catch a glimpse of God's glimpse of their potential. He goes on, just another couple of sentences here. There in the midst of them, Jesus felt the deep joy of his life's mission, which was, as he said to his critics, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Whenever the fellowship of Jesus, as expressed in the Christian church, lets that supreme motive slip away, it is no longer Christian. Period. Drop the mic. It's, it's, that's it. Jesus was in the midst of sinners, loving them with the warmth of God's expectation of what they might become. And he saw that potential, and he felt joy in his mission. Look who we could help become what God knows what they could become, because look what I can become, even though I know who I am. And trying to pour more water into the ones who are already full is almost like redundant. It's like, yes, we celebrate, but who are the thirsty? We're filled. If we're not filled, then let's just come back to the living water. Let's come back to what has filled us. I know God is here for it. It starts with the wine. We are just vessels to carry it to the thirsty people. So I challenge us as congregations to say, what shape are we? What shape? Are, what kind of vessel are we to carry? But same gospel. And God, will you give us new wine, but really just more wine? Will you keep pouring out your spirit? Give us more and more of your love. Give us more and more of your vision. Give us more and more opportunities. Give us more and more of that closeness, because if we're feeling empty, ah, we're going to be on our knees before someone, the precious sinner, asking them to pray for us. Because we need it as much as anyone. So if we can catch a glimpse of what the wineskin is for, then we let it be whatever it is. Who's thirsty? How can we best get them drink? We're thirsty. We see a thirsty sprinter. Let's be the guy jogging in the marathon like alongside with a cup of water so that the sprinter can get it on their way. If we're alongside a thirsty person that's an elderly housebound person, go to them. Bring them the water because they can't move. If we're next to a small child who's thirsty, get a really, really tiny cup and bend down to their level and love them with the warmth of God's own expectation of what they might become and help them. If it's someone who's far superior to us in height and status and wealth and knowledge and potential, lift the glass up to them. Because if they're empty, they're empty. It doesn't matter if they're tall or short, skinny or wide. It just doesn't matter because it's not about the vessel. It's about... This is grace. I once was lost, but now I've been found. The precious sinner that I am, who has now been filled and who's looking for more thirsty people because God is good. Let's close with a song. I'll say a word of prayer, and then we'll head downstairs. I invite you to enjoy some fellowship time if you're able to join us afterwards. God, Holy, creator, redeeming, sovereign, powerful, loving, just, merciful God. Your water is so good. Help us to feel you. Help us to love you. Help us to embrace you. Help us to 
accept you. Help us to receive the word that has been planted in us. Help us to receive it humbly. And help us to live out our life and our doctrine in a way that might somehow, through your sovereignty, save both us and our hearers. Bring us to the thirsty. Fill us. Allow us to pour over and overflow into others. And use us uniquely and diversely to carry the same water in different ways to people who are the same as us, the precious sinners who you died for. We pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.